Many animals live across the vast expanse of the Gobi Desert, but locals and visitors alike are warned to avoid this dangerous beast. Though its odd appearance may make it seem innocuous, it's actually poisonous, aggressive, and some say even electric. Are the warnings about its danger nothing more than legends? Or is this slithering beast a true deadly threat? This week's episode is The Mongolian Death Worm. Up, bump in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Would you rather come across... A giant snake or a giant spider if you're walking through the desert? <gasps> and by, gi- by giant, I mean snake is like at least five feet long and spider is at least the size of your fist. Like the body of it is the size of your fist plus legs. Just full disclosure, when you ask that, I imagined a snake the size of the Jafar snake from Aladdin. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> and a spider like Wild Wild West. So well, your, your which, parameters. Which one of those would you rather come across? <laughs> Definitely the Wild Wild West spider, because I feel like the snake was vaguely sexually threatening. And I think that the Wild West spider was just more of an angry mechanical beast. Okay. Yeah, he's a robot. So you could probably... Uh, He's not going to, like, shoot actual spider stuff at you. I'd rather deal with robot spider than real spider any day of the week. Uh, Yeah, for sure. What about you? Um, If it's it's your scenario, I'm going robot spider. If it's my scenario, I'm going snake. You think? I think so, because I think a snake is big enough that you can watch where it's going versus... The spider may crawl up you and you don't know. Yeah. Get up your I've, shorts. I've really never had a problem with snakes. When I was little and we would go to the zoo, my favorite area was the snake portion. Mm-hmm. And I've like, they just don't really scare me. Big ass spiders, on the other hand, <laughs> they, they can fuck right off. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, because they also jump and they're yeah. fast. They're, they're like, like, I don't think like things that like, uh, crawl real fast or you know Mm -hmm. arachnophobia the movie scarred me i have never seen that but it's not spiders but i've seen joe's apartment where it's all yes roaches roaches. i also hate roaches also disgusting i woke tommy up at 3 a.m the other night because i kept hearing this clicking noise in the bedroom (laughs) and i was convinced there was a roach in there making some noise (laughs) We tur- I made him get up. We turned on all the lights, had our phones and flashlights looking for it. Never did find anything. What do you think it was? I think it was a bug that later came up dead in Ella's room. That's okay. like one of those beetles that kind of make weird sounds. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a bug. I'd rather it be a beetle than a roach. I cannot stand roaches. My house is co- is covered in lizards in the outside. There's a lizard. I swear. I mean, it's it's bigger than a human hand that lives in the tree in the front yard. 
And there are three anal snake uh, lizards that live on my back porch. And the bug guy, I said, "What do I do about all these lizards?" He goes, "You don't do shit about them. They eat all the bugs." Yeah, that's like, th- you don't need dope. a bug guy when you got all those no. lizards. They're your <laughs> bug guy right there. That's true. Shocking that he wasn't like kill all the lizards, <laughs> so I won't be needed. But he was like, "That's why." He's like, "You know, you don't need me. There ain't a lot of bugs around here because I guess it's a buffet." Well, we're not talking about, or maybe we are talking about lizards this week, are we? I don't <laughs> Who know. Knows? Some call it a worm. Some call it a lizard. Others call it fiction. No, you know who's to say what the Mongolian death worm is or isn't. But w- there are people that my favorite is just they say I saw it and I defeated it. <laughs> it's like, well, of course, because it's a death worm and you live. Well, yeah, that's like um, anything that has death in the title. If yeah. you saw it and you're telling us, I'm going to assume you defeated it. <laughs> or you're a ghost. Or it was a flatliner situation and it killed you yes. and then somebody brought your ass back from the dead. And you came back. Man, speaking of creepy, that movie fucked me up when I was younger. That's have you the, seen Flatliners? Is that the one with uh, all star cast Michael J. Fox, or that's the other one? That's Keith Kiefer Sutherland, Kevin Bacon, Kevin Bacon. That's the one. What and is, Julia Roberts. What is the one I'm thinking of where Michael J. Fox and they die, and they come, and then it's like there's they're like ghosts. <laughs> um, I've never seen that, but it's, it was Flatliners so just, is like a is like a drama creepy i wouldn't call it a horror film but it's oh is that where they do it to get high um i wouldn't say high but they intentionally push themselves past the point of death to experience what's on the other side and they all meet their demons that they're dealing with in real life on the other side and then their friends are there to hopefully bring them back from actually dying before it's too late so they're 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 walking a fine line yes billy baldwin is in that too Yes, it's a bunch of famous people. Yeah, it's a it's a good cast. I was thinking of the Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. I've never seen that. He's an architect who practices necromancy, and then they start bringing dead people back. So there's a lot of undead, ghost, ghastly people. Is it a running comedy? Around. It is a, co- a 1996 comedy horror film directed okay. by Peter Jackson. I would not of say Lord of the Rings fame. Yes, he is the famous person. I would not say Flatliners is a comedy by any <laughs> stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I laughed once. No. Um, yeah. So, well, this week we're talking about the Mongolian death worm. This is going to be a fun one, I think. It's such a rock and roll name. It is. It's Mongolian death worm. Uh, FYI, will be on the same bill as Donnelly'sar and the Meat Warlocks mm-hmm. when our summer bash eventually takes off. <laughs> we're waiting for things to die down. We want to respect <laughs> all the safety rules and regulations Correct. before... We we really start contacting venues about this. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. The Gobi Desert is a large desert region that extends from southern Mongolia to northern China in East Asia. It is the fifth largest desert in the world, spanning an impressive 930 miles east to west and about 500 miles north to south, making it slightly larger than the state of Texas. Historically, it is significant for being home to several cities that existed along the Silk Road, a network of trade routes connecting China and the Far East with the Middle East and Europe that was used from 130 BC to 1453 AD. In addition, the world's first dinosaur eggs were discovered in the desert in 1923. 
Would you be more? Were, this I like this is a would you rather episode. Yeah, I would love you be would rather you rather's. Trapped in the desert or Ooh. in a frozen, frozen icy tundra? Very good question. I am because I've and when we get to my mixed bag later, I have become some might say obsessed. I don't <laughs> like to use that word because I think it's overused with Mount Everest. <laughs> um, I am. I'm going to consider myself a Mount Everest expert at this point because aficionado. I have watched, I'm an aficionado. I've watched so many documentaries and read so much about this mountain at this point. But having seen it, I'm going desert because the cold will fuck you up. Not that the hot won't, but I feel like me personally, I could endure heat better than freezing temperatures. That's true. It's just by virtue of our raisin. We got raised up in a hot That's true. area. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's basically Gobi Desert temperatures outside here right now. Oh, my God. It is. It's sweltering. And I got a notification from the Weather Channel today telling me it's going to be above 100 all week. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's great. I guess I'll just stay in my house for the next seven days. Yeah, like I was gonna. Yeah, as if I was going to leave my house anyways. What about you? Desert or frozen tundra? I'm thinking desert because I, I that's why I left Chicago is because I didn't like the cold. But also Paris made a good point when I was researching this. He was sitting next to me on the couch and he looked and he goes, a desert is just like a sand ocean. He's like, back in the day before there's like, you really could pack enough supplies and everything. I guess they could use camels and stuff. And now you'd be able to fly over it and stuff. But he's like, it's just, it was so completely vast. You couldn't even cross it. And you wouldn't even know which direction you were going unless you have like more modern like tools and stuff. So I guess you just go by, you know, plant your flags or indicators, markers along the trail. But Gotta go by the sun and the stars. <gasps> old the school. Star. The old North Star like Peter Pan. Well, that's why they have guides now that will guide you through deserts, including mm-hmm. the Mongolian desert. Because, yeah, I don't think you want to get stuck out there on your own trying to traver- traverse all that. Mm-mm. A surprising number of animals call the Gobi home, including gazelles, polecats, camels, Mongolian wild donkeys, lizards, snow leopards, brown bears, and wolves. However, legend has it that a much more sinister creature lurks in the sand and grasslands of the Gobi, the Mongolian death worm. Is polecats the name of that gentleman's club on the corner of the yeah, highway? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the streets, uh, BYOB, in case, you, <laughs> full in case you're going. <laughs> full nude BYOB, yep. For centuries, locals have referred to the death worms as ogoi korkoi, or large intestine worms. Described as the stuff of nightmares, the death worms are said to specifically inhabit the western and southern parts of the desert. Those that claim to have seen the deadly creatures have all described them in the same way. A two to five long foot, bright red creature, resembling a blood-filled intestine or a large sausage. Witnesses say it is thick as a human arm with no discernible head or tail. And while no photos of the worm exist, artist renderings depict the monster with a gaping round mouth filled with deadly pointy teeth. They just kept calling it sausage worm, salami worm. Can we just call this thing what it is? It's a big dick worm. It's a giant uncircumcised dick is what it looks like. A hundred percent. Also... <laughs> No, saying uncircumcised, I watched a very old, but nevertheless, I don't think there's been a lot of updates. Episode of Pen and Teller bullshit about circumcision. Uh, circumcision. I learned so much. There's so what much. What you learned that you didn't know? I didn't know about the penis. Well, first of all, the contraption and clamp situation. 
that they use. Yeah, yep. That the Moyle uses, or I suppose yeah. a doctor, depending on who you go to, yeah. There's like a little baby tub that you strap the baby's arms and legs down so they can't, like, get away. And also, there's a surprising number of gentlemen who have been circumcised that change their minds, and so there's weights that they can put on their weenie skin that stretch it back out and makes it go back to where how it was. Wow. And there's a guy, of course, it's Penn and Teller. They're like, will you show us? And he just stands up and he pulls his pants down and he shows. With the weights? Well, he shows it as it is now, which it has half been stretched back. And then he he puts the weights on it and then he kind of swings back and forth and he goes, look, it doesn't hurt at all. (laughs) Wow. You know, get you get what you want, I guess. It's a it's a thing that um, people have a lot of hot. Hot takes about. That's what I was going to say. I had no idea. I just thought like all doctors did it, but there was oh, like no. a couple on there that like the husband didn't want to do it. They were, she was pregnant and then she did. And then it was just, there was uh, activist groups on one side, activist mm-hmm. groups on the other side, literal ex- pediatricians with like the same credentials, the same number of years of practice, totally diametrically opposed. Was, yep. I love Penn and Teller bullshit because it's, they present really go into the details on all the sides. Yeah, it's a it's a hot button issue for a lot of people. I did not know that you could. Um, well, I guess I did know you could stretch it back out. I knew you could stretch your skin out. I guess I had never thought that there are people that do that because they want their circumcision skin mm-hmm. back. But mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it makes sense if you were a baby and you didn't have a say in it, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know. You gotta, it's like, it's like anything. When you're a kid, you don't get to say, and then when you're old enough, you can do whatever you want. You're like, mom and dad, I'm going to restore the old death worm. (laughs) (laughs) For most of the year, the worm is said to hibernate beneath the desert, only surfacing in June and July, usually after it has rained and the ground is wet. However, despite only making an appearance two months out of the year, Mongolians say that the worm can still be detected by the waves of sand it unearths while slithering underground. And if you happen to witness this anomaly, you better run for your life. So it's like tremors. Yes, it's it's a, or a sandworm with Beetlejuice. Oh, true. Yes, yes. Tremors, also a movie, maybe came out around the same time as Flatliners. But it was a, it was a creepy one. I mean, it was, I guess, to me, that is comedy horror. Yeah, where it's kind of cheesy. It's campy, yeah. Yes. Mongolian tribesmen believe that if a human were to even touch a death worm, the poison it secreted would cause their instant death. As if that weren't harsh enough, the worms are also able to electrically shock victims, much like an electric eel. This thing can do it all. It can do it yeah. all. It's like a utility knife. It's got all sorts of things <laughs> it, can, it can do for you. It's a Swiss Army knife worm. One does not simply have to touch a death worm to experience its wrath, however. As legend has it, upon spotting its prey, the giant fleshy worm rises out of the sand, exposing only half of its sausage-like body. It then inflates itself until a venomous poison erupts from its body, covering its victim in a yellow acidic liquid, instantly killing them, according to Cryptid's wiki. Well, after you put the image in my head earlier... (laughs) Yeah, it's all coming together now. Now the sausage is squirting out a liquid and <laughs> yeah. covering its victim. And Super. Uh, yeah, yep, yep, yep. I changed my earlier answer about desert versus <laughs> versus 
frozen areas because this thing gets worse and worse the longer we talk about it. Well, and if you're in the frozen tundra, the worm will probably shrink up a little bit. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I was in the pool. I was in the pool. <laughs> Humans aren't the only ones upon which the death worm preys. The deadly salami-like creature has also been known to hunt various wildlife, including camels. In fact, legend has it that the death worm's red color comes from the blood of the camels. Allegedly, after killing the humped animal, the worm then crawled inside the camel's body, laying its eggs among the intestines. Locals believe that the absorption of the camel's blood turned the death worm bright red, subsequently making all future worms red as well. A little bit of a revenant style where you climb in, climb in afterwards. Yep, or uh, Star Wars. Isn't it on Star Wars, yeah, where he guts that thing and climbs in for warmth. Can't Tauntaun. think of that. Tauntaun. Yep, yep, yep. Deathworms don't just crave the taste of flesh, however. Mongolians report that the creature also enjoys the flavors of the local goyo plant, which tastes like a cross between an unripe banana and celery. We all have varying tastes. Deathworm. You hate celery. I know I this hate it. about I you. I hate it. We just got wings last night, and I said, if it is not oops all carrots, I will send it back. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't. I love just... celery. Like, really? Oh, yeah, man. I love it with peanut butter, with pimento cheese is one of my favorite snacks. Oh, okay. I Do you like it cooked if it's like oh, in things? I Actually, I put it in my uh, my stuff, in my dressing at, yeah, yeah. at uh, Thanksgiving. That's about the only time I use it. My mom does that, so I was wondering if you enjoy that. So it's just a raw stick of celery is what you're not a fan of. Gross. And I'll eat peanut butter, obviously. I'll eat a pimento cheese sandwich, you know, whatever. Ants on a log. I just don't need the log. I'll take the ants. <laughs> just a scoop of peanut butter with some raisins stuffed I'm, in it? I'm down with that. I, I watched- do that all the time. <laughs> One of the YouTube videos, the guys were with the local guide, and they said, "This is a goyo plant." The uh, goyo plant, and he, the, the guy, looks in the YouTube video and goes, "You know, they say it's poison, but it's actually fine." And just pops it in his mouth, and I was like, "You are a trusting person. Yeah, you're in a different place, and you risk just pop taker." A- some say it's poisonous. Some say it's not. It might be one of those things where, if you are an indigenous person and you grew up eating it, it's mm. not going to affect you. Like if you're a Westerner that just travels in there and pops one in your mouth. True. The Western world was first introduced to the monster in the 1926 book, On the Trail of Ancient Man, written by paleontologist Roy Chapman Andrews. He had gone to Mongolia to study fossils when the Mongolian prime minister, Dam Dinzabar, warned him of the death worm. It is shaped like a sausage about two feet long, has no head nor leg, and is so poisonous that merely to touch it means instant death. It lives in the most desolate parts of the Gobi Desert. Though Andrews himself wrote about the death worm, he actually did not believe that it even existed. However, that didn't stop the legend from spreading, and from many Hmong people sharing their own encounters with the monster. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's sort of a given. Whenever the people are interviewed, the locals are interviewed, they're like, my grandma told me about it. My grandma's grandma's grandma told her about it. And it just gets passed on that if you're out there, you better watch out. And it's sort of, it's not even like, it's a legend. It might be out there like Bigfoot. They're like, no, they're out there and they'll get you. They're out there. We just haven't seen any. <laughs> it's all just passed down stories. Somebody allegedly, some it's like a Ferris Bueller style of like, my best friend's cousin's boyfriend's sister told this guy right. who knew this kid. Exactly. Throughout the 1990s, Ivan Macarelli, a Czech cryptozoologist and one of the leading Loch Ness monster detectives, and his team 
decided to conduct a search of the desert looking for the deathworm. Macarelli had been inspired by another Ivan, Ivan Efremov, who, in 1954, had written a short story about the deathworm, in which it attacked a group of scientists. I don't know that I would be inspired to go, as a group of scientists, investigate a thing that killed a group of scientists. That's like you watch The Thing and then you're like, all right, everybody pack up. <laughs> we're, we're heading for the, for the icy tundra. We're heading out. I have a question. Yes. How do I become a Loch Ness Monster Dude. Detective? Because that's what the job I decided I just want now. With all of my my detective work on the guys that my friends match with on Bumble, I was like, how do I become a private detective? And now I had a I friend. I have a friend that's a private investigator. Oh my! We you just do. apply for a license and start a business. Would your she friend, bought a bunch of shit. Would she do an a, like an interview for like a Patreon special thing? I haven't talked to her in years, but I could I could reach out to her. Rekindle. I don't even know if she still is. This was like ten years ago, maybe that she started this business. I worked with her at one of the wineries, and she was oh, like, nice. "I've always wanted to be a private investigator." She did, and it. then she just started. Yeah, and people. Uh, well, contact her. She, I remember once she was investigating if this guy was cheating on his wife. The wife had hired her. She had to like go to his church and just pretend to be like a person that was there for service to see what he was doing and stuff. I was like, this is stuff I can get behind. I'm so into that. <laughs> I'm so into that. 100% would spend my Sunday morning. I haven't stepped foot in a church in years. I'll do it to see if somebody's cheating on somebody, though. <laughs> Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And you take secret pictures of your phone? Well, mm-hmm. I, okay, so now check that off the list. We know how to become a private eye. How do we become a Loch Ness detective? <laughs> That's true. We got to be a PI for the Loch Ness Monster. Yes, be a PI and then an LNMD, which is Loch Ness Monster <laughs> Detective. I like it. Well, much to his dismay, at the end of their first expedition in 1990, Macarelli and his team came up empty-handed. Desperate to unearth the beast and prove their existence, the team then turned to literature to try and lure the worms to the surface. In 1965, Frank Herbert had published the novel Dune, which included references to giant sandworms. According to the novel, in order to get the worms to the surface, the characters conducted a type of drumming or thumping on the surface. Macarelli's team tried this, but still failed to see any deathworms for themselves. My dad loved the Dune books. Oh, did he really? Oh, my God, yes. I vividly remember just, like, them lined up on the bookshelves in the living room. I've never read them. No, and I mean, I'm not super into, like, sci-fi, and especially Mm -hmm. that was kind of before our times, but those are classic, man, and I guess if you're going to fight almost the exact same same thing that was described, you might as well. It worked in the book. It may work in real life. Hey, you know, uh, L. Ron Hubbard started an entire religion based off sci-fi. So why not try to get a death worm to come to the surface with something you read? Exactly. It worked for him. In 2005, British cryptozoologist Richard Freeman took a team to the Gobi Desert to search for the worm himself. One 90-year-old local resident Freeman talked to claimed to have seen the worm back in 1930. He confirmed that the worm was salami-shaped, as others had reported. But rather than simply red in color it was able to change its color based on the surroundings, like a camouflage. The man had seen the worm again in 1972, but claimed the sightings were more rare in recent times. This was a very intense trip for Richard Freeman and their team, and they all do little video diaries, and they were just all over the... I mean, because the Gobi Desert, like we said, it's a little bit bigger than Texas, so they were up north, down south, by this border, by that border, going all around, interviewing everybody possible, and just 
very optimistic. You got to be, right? To be a cryptozoologist, you got to be. I think you got to be optimistic and a little unhinged, I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, maybe both those things. I don't know. Enthralled about everything. It was very yeah. fun. It was it was fun to watch. You felt like you're part of it. In not, well, I don't know when cameras were invented, but I, did they have them in the 1930s? I think so. I think it was like the late 1800s, although they weren't very prevalent until later on. I know you had them in the 1970s. Oh, yeah. Take a camera. If you've already seen it once, anytime you're walking around, you should have a camera in case you see it again. This man's life is consumed from 1930 to 1972, just like, ready. Got it. But if he had been ready, always be ready. What is the Boy Boy Scouts thing? Always be prepared? Yes. See, they needed some Boy Scouts out there. That's true. Find this damn thing. Or Girl Scouts. Another witness Freeman spoke with claimed to have been attacked by the worm, but to have defended himself with a rock. After the creature was dead, he claims Russian officials came by and took the body away. Some believe that the carcass of the creature still lies in the basement of a Russian facility. That's what Richard Freeman said. They've got it. They've got a whole specimen. (laughs) I want to know if he kills it with a rock and immediately Russians swoop in and take this thing. Like, they're just... (laughs) Go, go, go. Behind Alpha Team, a, a dune. I don't even know where you'd hide out there. There's not really, there's Christy. not a lot of trees and shit. They hide under the sand. Okay, so maybe, well, perhaps that's what we've been seeing the whole time. <laughs> They've had, they have a sand marine, which is like a submarine, but under the sand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Boop boop, a little, po- a little periscope coming out. Because if he'd killed it, and then he just had it, unless he contacted someone. How would anybody know to come get it? They're you always, know? the KGB's watching. Maybe man. that's what it is. I guess so. Other locals interviewed described the worm as gray in color. Still others as red. One claimed that the venom it spit was yellow and would turn its victim yellow. Mentions of the color yellow by locals also indicated that the worm was attracted to this color for some reason. And wearing it or carrying objects of that color would actually entice the worm. Well, I look like trash and yellow. So. so we're safe. I know. Me too. It's not. It's not, <laughs> it's I don't not know. my color. You know, they not have like, color. you're an autumn or a summer. I don't remember what mine is, but it's bad with yellow. I would think you're an autumn. That makes sense. I wear a lot of you, navy. Yeah. And purples. Purple. And like, I think you'd look good in like red and burnt orange and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I feel like we look good in the same colors. Yes. That's why we wear the same clothes. Yeah. <laughs> we honestly, like half of our closet is the exact same shirts. When we would do shows, we would have to say, hey, heads up, I'm wearing that uh, three-quarter length <laughs> shirt, the green one from Amazon, and be like, cool, all right, we'll have it on, so I'll change. I'll change. Yeah, I, um, I'm i a cool, so okay. I'm like blues and purples and things like that. But then, like, I feel like blondes usually look good in red, mm-hmm. but like yellow Mm-mm. Or um, that color looks real shitty on me. Brown is not a good color on me. So maybe I'm not an odd. I don't know. I don't know what uh-huh. all the colors are. I just know when I would wear yellow as a kid, my mom would say, you look like you have jaundice. <laughs> <laughs> it was good because, you know, you never left the house looking like shit because she'd tell yeah. you. So Nancy you didn't let you leave the house looking no. like shit. <laughs> no. She looked like you have jaundice and the sandworm's going to get you. So t- change clothes. <laughs> Freeman also interviewed Hervu a retired military colonel who lived near a military base near the Chinese border. Hervu told Freeman and the team that in the early 1970s, he encountered a deathworm while on a motorbike patrol. 
At first, he thought he saw an old tire in the desert. But when he got closer, he realized it was, in fact, a death worm. It was large and shaped like a salami. Its skin was reddish brown and had scales like a reptile. But the scales were unusual. They shimmered as if they were running with electricity. The Hervu conceded that this could have been the sun shining off the creature's wet scales as it had recently rained. Well, those are two very different scenarios. <laughs> it's either, either a it's, Either it's an electric sausage or maybe it <laughs> rained and it's just got a little shimmer to it. <laughs> electric sausage is opening for Mongolian <laughs> on the tour. Yeah. God, we're going to have to get so many t-shirts made. <laughs> But I mean, I, I appreciate everyone's bravery that knowing full well that a venom squirting monstrous sausage creature is abound that you cruise by and you go and stop to check it out. And the other <laughs> is guy that an just, old tire. Oh, no, that's a death worm. Let's oh, get shit. even closer. <laughs> and the other guy just bashed it in the head with a rock. Yeah, that's that's hardcore. Brave as hell. While Freeman heard many harrowing tales from locals during his expedition, he believes the worm is nothing more than a flesh-and-blood creature that has made the Gobi Desert its home, and that legends have increased the reports of the worm's size and ferocity. Freeman isn't the only one to come to this conclusion. Folklorists believe that tales of the Mongolian deathworm are just that, stories that have been passed down from generation to generation, resulting in the legends spreading throughout the region. One of the most damning pieces of evidence, or rather, lack of evidence, disproving the myth of the worm, is that no one has ever come across any skeletal remains. Because the Gobi Desert is so arid and hot, a carcass would be slow to decompose, according to LiveScience.com. This is a sticking point with zoologists as well, who are quick to point out that the word worm in Mongolian deathworm is actually an English translation. In fact, the worm would not be warm-like at all given the geological and temperate makeup of the Gobi Desert. Rather, the creature would resemble that of a snake or lizard. Because these animals are vertebrates, this furthers disbelief amongst zoologists that the mystery monster exists, as a spine would have surely been found by now. You can't argue with science. We'll get to what I think, but <laughs> you can't argue with the science that we know of. Okay, that's true. I mean... Shit's found at the bottom of the ocean all the time that we thought was gone. I'm having a lot of problems. I've been thinking about octopus lately. I'll, we'll talk about it at the end with my Is theories. this your theory on how they're aliens? Yes, I'm really stressed out about octopuses, octopies. They're, the plural is octopi. <laughs> well, I'm very stressed out about them. I am kind of fascinated by octopus. They're so, or octopi, they're very um, intelligent. Too intelligent. But, you know, they... It's not like you're going to be walking down the street and run into an octopus. Yet. <laughs> I mean, they have to survive in water. We know that about them. So right unless you're do. in very deep parts of the ocean to be get a big octopus that like, could harm you, you're, you think, you're safe. Think about how big they are. <sighs> I think about that, but then I think I'm good because it's the same way I feel about sharks. I don't go in the ocean, so I don't need to worry about those things. But the octopus that was at the zoo in, I think it was New Zealand or Australia, just got away and went back to Inky. He escaped. See, that makes me sad. It legit makes me sad when they, like, will be keeping them in, like, cages or tanks and stuff or even jars. And they can unscrew Screw the it. jars and get out and crawl down and, like, open a door. To me, I'm like, we should not. Well, I don't think we should keep any animals captive like that. But 
that thing is too smart for you to have mm-hmm. in a tank. It's trying to get somewhere back to its loved ones or something. Back to the mothership. Also, if it can turn a doorknob, what's to say it can't break your damn neck? That it can <laughs> wrap itself around you. Stop saying that. <laughs> but see, I would much rather deal with an octopus than a spider because an octopus I'm never going to run into. That, that Not, I, I won't say I'll never say never. Thank you. The likelihood of me running into an octopus is way lower than me running into a giant spider. This is all because of the Joel McHale episode of the new Twilight Zone. There's one that's about like underwater deep sea explore, exploration. I haven't watched the new Twilight Zone. I've heard mixed things. It is. Uh, what do you call it? Like a barbell system. Like either the episode is really good or just full out garbage. It's so weird. It's real it's been, hit and miss. It's been so weird. Yeah. It's some Does, of them uh, were great. Jordan Peele still host it? Yeah. Yeah. He's, and he's always great because he comes in as the narrator at the beginning of the end. And the acting has been really great and consistent, but some of the story, one of the stories is like mind blowing. And another one, we literally laughed out loud. It was so dumb. Yeah. So it's hard to, it's hard because I think they, it, the writing is a little bit different than the 60s. I feel like they really trusted the audience a lot more and they assumed that you would be able to connect the dots. And this one is very much like a regular person. Here's an inciting incident. Now something is happening versus in the 60s. It would just be like the shit's like weird. You're in a different world now. Everybody yeah. has pig faces and you, it was yeah. never explained. And they just trusted you to follow along. This one's very like you're now watching a regular person. Here's a very strange incident. Too so, heavy-handed? It's a little bit, yeah. You gotta assume your audience is smarter than you think they are. There's a really great interview with Rod Serling talking about that exact thing where people say, don't you think that you should dumb your your writing down? Don't you think you should dumb your show down to reach the biggest possible audience? And he said, no, because then I'm not making the thing I want to make. And I'm mm-hmm. like, someone needs to send that to the producers of the new Twilight Zone. <laughs> also, that pig one is still the scariest Twilight Zone I've ever seen. Yeah, it's so good. I, so good. Beauty is an eye the beholder, I think is what it's mm-hmm. called. Well, in 2001, the National Geographic show Beast Hunter attempted to hunt the worm using a motion-activated camera. The camera caught what the host described as a huge chameleon with a horn coming out of its nose. But when he investigated the footage, it was simply a cow standing at a different angle. Could this mistaken identity explain what those witnesses have seen? Simply a common animal from a different angle. What a uh, deflating moment that must have it been. It was such like a <laughs> moment because he's looking at the footage and he's he's like fast forwarding and then he gets he's like, it's the last frame, you guys. Oh, my God. I'm going to push play. Look what look at this. And to be fair, the the still frame, you could mistake it as some one eyed, one horn flying purple people eater. Like it has the single horn. There's like the tuft of hair. There's a weird eye. And he's like, it must be this. And then he, it's just a cow that's kind of like tilting its head, <laughs> looking at the camera. And it's, it's, it's the same sad. thing with Loch Ness. I mean, mm-hmm. people discredit that picture as just being like a floating log or just the, it's a, it's a bird or something, but just the angle of it. It's all about perception. Perception's mm-hmm. reality. Mm hmm. Mistaken identity is a common theory amongst those who deny the death swarm's existence. Carl Schuker, British biologist and author of the book The Unexplained, an illustrated guide to the world's paranormal mysteries, believes the sightings are actually that of a worm lizard, a reptile that resembles a large worm and is known for burrowing underground. Richard Freeman echoes these sentiments, also saying that it could be a red sand boa. 
Well, and the desert's just so big. You don't know what's down under there. You don't know what's out there. Even if There's some- a million types of snakes. Yeah, it's too many. Which is what mo- almost all the theories I came across were, it's this type of snake. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, although the description doesn't really look like a snake, but if you're, I guess if you're speeding by on a motorbike or hurtling a rock at something, maybe you could see it differently or remember it differently. Yeah. And a lot of this, like this, the worm lizard, it's a reptile, but it looks like a worm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, reptile snake or something that just resembles more of a worm than your traditional snake. But because I totally see the point of the zoologist that actual worm couldn't exist in those types. It would shrivel up. It would die. It's too hot for just like a worm to live there. That we know of. A worm lizard, it it looks like a little sausage. See? There you go. It's a little, little pink sausage. It does have tiny little arms that are very cute, though. Another species of snake some believe have been mistaken for the death worm is the deadly Central Asian pit viper. Though no one has ever died from one of its bites, it is known to be highly venomous, and due to its scarcity, there is no anti-venom to counteract a bite. Could witnesses have been seeing a rare breed of snake and mistaking it for a mysterious monster? Perhaps, but the descriptions don't quite match. Though the Central Asian pit viper has a stout body shape, it is much longer than the reported 2 to 5 feet of the worm, with some reported as long as 31 feet. I have seen one of these on Alone Season 5. They are all over the place, which is why I don't believe this, because they're pretty common. Like, when they're in Mongolia on Season 5 of Alone, and one of the things they, like, constantly talk about is how how the locals told them and the guides and everything, like, watch out for, because they're also referred to as Mongolian pit vipers. Watch out for these Mongolian pit vipers. They just hide everywhere, and they'll just... uh, Shoot out, you won't see it, and it'll just shoot out and bite you. No. Yeah, and there's no anti-venom, so. But God. some say some say they're deadly poisonous. Others are like, it's not that bad. I think if you get bit by any snake, it's not great. It's not ideal. I wouldn't. No. I'm good. I'm okay. No, but thank this you. guy is walking up, and he's like, oh, there's one of the pit vipers. He tries to kill it. It gets away. It was probably like five or six feet long. Yeah. But it looked like a regular snake. Yeah, that's why I was like looking at photos of these. It doesn't. It's not pink. It's not scaly. No. It's scaly like a snake. It looks like this a one was like gray and black. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It looked like it looked like a rattlesnake kind of. Others believe the death worm may actually be a non-extinct dinosaur. Paleontologists have spent over a century digging in the Gobi for dinosaur bones. The area has always been rich with ancient animal life. Could the worm be an eons-old species that has managed to survive unscathed in the harsh desert climate? Well, aren't, aren't like, a lot of animals we have descendants of dinosaurs? Chickens, I thought. I mean, I thought, gators, I thought, crocs. Yeah, I thought that and, like, birds and shit were. Yeah, pretty much. I, I gotta fact, myself, fact check myself all the time, because Ella will be like, uh, where does thunder come from? That's what, <laughs> that was her question today. She goes, I want to see a picture of thunder. That's awesome. I go, well, well, you can't see a picture, but you can hear it, but I can show you a picture of lightning. And she goes, why is thunder loud? And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> and then Tommy busts in, dad of the year. He's like, uh, it's the sound because it's the, of the air particles getting out of the way for the lightning. And I was like, is that true? He's like, yeah. And I was like, I don't remember shit from school. Like, I literally could have just not gone to school and it would be the same outcome. Heather I don't McKinney, remember anything from for a school. Thousand, if they go for $1,000, what is thunder? I would go clouds banging into each other. <laughs> 
So. I was like, uh, I don't know. And then I start. I was like, well, what's lightning? He's like, it's static electricity from the. And I was like, does it come from clouds? He's like, it can. I think it also just comes from the sky. I'm like, I'm telling you, I don't remember anything mm-hmm. about anything mm-hmm. when it comes to science or None anything like that. So uh, I got to, yeah, I got to fact check all sorts of stuff. You have Google. When I was a kid, my mom's like, go look it up at Funkin' Wagnalls. And we had a set of mm-hmm. encyclopedias. We did not, but I would borrow our neighbors nice. quite frequently. Right. You yes. talked about that. Yes. Can I have W? I just need W. <laughs> While independent expeditions and TV shows have searched for the death worm for centuries, the monster is yet to show itself. Even believers acknowledge there isn't much hard evidence to prove the worm's existence. Still, the legends continue to drive them to continue their search. For now, it seems those that wish to lay eyes upon the acid-shooting sausage will have to make do with artist renderings, sci-fi show interpretations, and the descriptive tales passed down through generations of Mongolians. However, don't let the lack of proof lull you into safety next time you find yourself in the Gobi Desert. If the sand beneath your feet begins to shake, run for the hills, or you might become the Deathworm's next victim. Goal. So you, what do we think? Okay. Well, first of all, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Yeah. So if this was truly a smart dinosaur creature, it would do, it would do what it takes to survive, which would be hide and hide the bones of its departed comrade comrades. So, I think that it is a real animal. There, ha- It has to be a real animal because the people, the interviews I watched, the people that saw it were a thousand percent sure they saw it and were like, it was not a snake. I can, I've seen a snake. I know the difference. It was, it was this creature. It squirted the venom out. It was penile. <laughs> it looked like a salami. They all kept saying salami, salami. So, I don't think that the worm lizard is thick enough unless it's a advanced breed or like some sort of a a branched off of the worm lizard tree that it's like a thicker version of it because they're a little bit thinner but i think that it's a real animal and it exists because the people the witnesses that have claimed to have seen it were very i feel like they were credible when I was watching them. Okay. You're also the person that says eyewitness accounts are trash. They are. And we can't trust our memory or anything we it's see. True. We cannot. So how do you reconcile both <laughs> of those things? I guess that's true. Or maybe they've just been primed to see this because they've been told you're going to see this evil salami in the desert and you got to be ready. So always have a rock or a camera. Although not everyone. No one the ever. Warning. They took one of those things. I think it's uh, along those lines. I think it's like with any cryptid, you're told about something from a very young age and these tales get passed down. So then, yeah, if you see something that might be a little unexplained or maybe um, you just don't recognize it right away, you're like, oh, that's the death worm. Even though there's probably a uh, more logical explanation. <laughs> I think it is probably... um People do see things, but I think it's more of maybe a worm lizard or or something like that. They're just mistaking for something else. The other thing is, if it really exists and it it has to, like, prey on food and stuff, it would have to come up to eat, you know? So, like, why don't we see, like, carcasses that have been 
demolished by this death worm. What if it eats the bones? I suppose it could, but, uh, I mean, even snakes. I guess some snakes swallow their their prey whole. Mm-hmm. Dude, I saw a freaking video the other day of a giant-ass snake that took down a crocodile. Whoa! <laughs> it it it's it's crazy how big their stomachs expand. That's ball. That's bonkers. And it, yeah, and then it just like digests this crocodile for months on end. I guess until yeah, I'm like that's got to be uncomfortable. Like I had two bowls of mac and cheese earlier, and I'm uncomfortable it's right too now. Much. <laughs> Honestly, if I was betting on an animal fight, which I would never do because it seems un. But but if I was forced to, and it was snake versus crocodile, I would have taken crocodile and I would have lost, and I would have looked like an idiot. You know, I think it's the the size of the snake. This was like a big ass python. It ain't the fight in the snake; it's the snake in the fire. What is? I this? guess so. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sand. usually I would take a crocodile, which crocodiles and alligators are some of the scariest animals on the planet, in my yes. opinion. We were just watching uh, a YouTube thing that was like top ten things Disney doesn't want you to know, and one of them was oh, about the yeah the, the croc attack and that how, was and real just, rough. And just in general, how many errant crocodiles and or alligator errant alligators that they have on premises that's about two a month. That they were attacks or two a month, not attacks, but just there, like they just oh crop yeah. In. Also, I'm like, okay, well now, I mean, they're reopening now, but they've been closed. Normally, you haven't, you know, people bustling and moving around. The crocs are, or the like, the gators are going to take over. They're going to be riding. It's a small world. Mm. Yeah, that uh, that just happened a couple years ago. That was tragically sad at oh, that definitely. resort where that happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember going to. Hilton Head, South Carolina, as a kid on a family vacation. And the condo we stayed at, there was a pond behind it. And there were two giant gators that just basked in the sun right outside. Their names were Elvis and Priscilla. (laughs) And, like, the people would be like, yeah, that's Elvis and Priscilla. And, like, no one seemed to be scared of them. They were huge, too. But also, when I lived in South Florida, I saw gators all the damn time. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you will be driving down the street, and if there's a canal next to the road, you'd see gator eyes just swimming down the canal right not, next to you. Not so much in the city, but yeah, the swampy areas or the outer edge of New Orleans. Yeah, there was not... I saw you a don't gator. see an, a gator just uh, strolling down Bourbon Street? Yeah, he's playing a trumpet with a fun <laughs> little hat on. Hey, that's a Disney movie right there. <laughs> well, I think that it's probably a real thing, but... Uh, you guys let us or we i guess i think it's a thing that already exists that's being mistaken for something else heather like you think cow? it's some yeah yeah the, the cow i guess you think it's it's a species that has yet to be defined correct it's like the ocean we don't know what the hell's down there and we so this desert is a sand ocean so we don't know what's out there yep i don't i feel like we know have a better grasp on the desert than the ocean just because I think anytime you're in water, you're uh, automatically at dis- a disadvantage. That's true. The sand doesn't move quite as much as the water does. And it's not quite as deep. We don't know that. It goes to the Earth's core. Uh, <laughs> does it? Sand? I think, I think you could. I mean, at some point, you're going to hit rock and other shit before you get to the. to the. I don't think it's just sand all the way down or there'd be a lot more sinkholes and people <laughs> just like. <laughs> Falling into shit. You can't if if sand was what we lived on, I don't know if we'd all be safe in our houses. It goes sand, rock, chewy chocolate cream. Oh, I see I want to get to that part. Yeah. Well, let us know what you guys think, or if you've been to the Gobi Desert and have seen one of these things and had your camera and send us a picture of it. <laughs> also send it a picture of it to 
internet.com. Is that where you send stuff to the internet? Yeah, you just it just uploads to the internet. Also, internet if, at internet g internet at gmail.com. If you send us a picture, it better be of a real Mongolian death worm and not the sandworm in your Levi's because we're not yeah. gonna see that. Don't send us a dick pic, please. Mm-hmm. You you will get blocked <laughs> instantly. We, we will look at it first, but For then sure. we will block you. <laughs> we will screenshot it. We will share it in the group chat that we also have with Tommy. We're all going to make comments and make fun yeah, of it, and then we'll definitely. block you. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll block you. Yeah. Well, we love providing sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and Patreon-exclusive video and audio content, like our weekly mix bags where we share three of our favorite things of the week. For more details on specific membership tiers, visit SinisterHood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner to join today. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch, so please keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit SinisterHood.com and click on Shop in the top right corner. For those that do wish to order merch, please know that our fulfillment company is currently experiencing up to six-week delays due to COVID-19. We apologize for the inconvenience and sincerely appreciate everyone's patience that have not yet received their orders. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood Christy. I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace or Twitter at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on Instagram at Heather versus the world and on Twitter at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Jessica Reader. Brenda DeMuro, Sarah Russell, Julie, Joelle and Alberts, Sarah Cantwell, Heather Jobert, Ashley Redvansky, Sarah Dunford, Rachel, Serena Henson, Elizabeth Ryan, Elise Clark, Karen Braymeyer, Allie Foster, Kayla, Maria Guarneri White, Shane Colano, Vicki Martinez, Sarah Randazzo, Lisa Durand, and Shirley Gray. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show during these trying times. We could not do this without you. We sincerely appreciate you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Wahahaha. Sinister Hood. I'm going to kill you. Creepy, creepy.